you choir. Thank you, Dr. Long, and thank you to our musicians for that wonderful reminder. Uh, get my, my microphone on here. Uh, today we are, are going to try to finish uh, what we began last week in 1 John chapter 2 uh, in verses 18 through 23. So if you will, turn with me there and we will read these verses again to refresh our memory and to get them before us once again. So 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, and we'll read through verse 23. This is the word of Almighty God. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming... So now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they have been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, write your words on our hearts so that we might grow in our walk and in our love for you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, this is our second week in this passage. And those of you who were with us last time, you'll recall that, that we made it through the first two points that I had prepared for us, the, the first two of three. And so today, our goal is to try to make it through that third point. But before we do that, let, let's do two things. First, uh, just let me remind you of where we have been in this passage because we covered a lot of ground last week. We started last time uh, by simply pointing out that this passage, uh, it needs no imaginative or, or uh, extravagant uh, introduction. Uh, no, words like uh, the last hour and words like eternal life and words like, especially like, Antichrist, they grip us, they do the job of getting our focus uh, completely on their own. These are subjects, again, whether they should or not, that take up a majority, it seems, the majority of Christian headspace. Uh, and as such, uh, they are subjects uh, that are often the source of great and extravagant speculation. Um, but we said that we need to be careful with that, right? Uh, we said that because one of our core beliefs here at New Albany Presbyterian Church is that God's word is sufficient for us, that, that when it comes to matters of faith and practice, that God has given us all we need right here. Because of that, then when we approach words like this, we need to be careful how we interpret them. We need to be careful how we handle them. And that's particularly true for that word, Antichrist, which is the word that I chose to build this sermon around. 
Now remember, we said last week that that word Antichrist is actually only found five times in all of Scripture. And all five times are in 1 John or 2 John. Four of them in 1 John, once in 2 John. The only times in Scripture that word is found is here. Now I say that to you not to suggest that we don't need to consider what the word means. I say it to you so that we will recognize when something is used that infrequently, we need to be careful with it. We need to make sure that we see what John is trying to tell us here and that we use what he is saying appropriately, okay? And so it was with that in mind that that we first tried to define this term Antichrist. What exactly does John have in mind here when he uses that word? Well, what we said was is that Antichrist is any person or persons or organization or worldview, this maybe greater spirit of Antichrist that is out in the world, that during this last hour denies that Jesus is the Christ. And remember, we said that last hour always in Scripture, not just here, but in Paul and in Revelation and everywhere, uh, in Peter, it means not simply those last hours just before Jesus comes, but it means that whole time between his resurrection and his glorious return, right? Um, I had a professor say one time that uh, last hour or end times, it's not about the, the quantity of time, but it's about the quality of time, right? So all of these hours between Christ's resurrection and his second coming, they are last hours because they are hours where we are anticipating his glorious return. And so in that time, anyone who denies who he is, that he is the Christ, according to John, they are antichrist. Now, with that definition in hand, we secondly set out, as far as we could, to try to identify some of those antichrists that we see. And first we said they are those antichrists that are out in the world. And we based that off of verse 15, which we saw three weeks ago, that says, do not love the world or the things in the world. John says that because he recognizes the great number of individuals, of entities, and even that spirit that we said that embodies this whole idea of Antichrist out in the world. Whether it's certain leaders, and you remember we pointed to, to Nero in the first century that persecuted the church, that denied that Jesus was Christ. Uh, whether it's organizations, governments, businesses, social clubs, uh, or whether it is other world religions, world religions that deny that Jesus is the only way and the truth and the life. The only way to the Father. Whichever one it is, there have been, there are, and there will be until Christ comes, Antichrist out in the world. But remember, he also pointed us closer to home. In verse 19, he takes up this issue of apostasy, and in so doing, he reminds us uh, that there are even Antichrists among the visible church, okay? These who have made professions of faith, maybe certainly involved in the life of the church, who go out and who leave. And he says they are those who never truly knew the Lord. This is not them losing their salvation, but this is them showing their true colors. All along, they had been wolves uh, in sheep's clothing. So we said that for us, for for church members, what all of this means is that we need to, to be aware. 
We need to be on guard uh, as officers of the church, as members of the church. We need to guard and protect those among us, right? And to make sure that, that we are aware of what is out there. And today we're going to see how we can oppose this spirit of Antichrist that, that is in the world and in maybe even in the church. But before we do that, let me point out one other thing by way of introduction. Um, and I, I thought this last week, and I didn't say it because we had so much to get through, but I think it's important that we say it now. I hope and I think you will recognize that we have come to this passage at this time in world history, at this time with everything going on around us, we have come here not by chance. Now that's true every single Sunday that I get up in this pulpit, okay? We don't ever come to God's Word or anything else by chance because there is no chance, okay? But it is easy for us to forget as we are going through whole books like we so often do that these topics that we take up are not just simply the next ones in line, but they are the ones that God has placed before us. They are the ones that he would have us hear and apply to our hearts and I think we certainly can recognize that here, how obvious that is with these particular subjects that we're taking up. If you watch the news, if you've listened to Mr. Rodney's Minute for Missions the past few weeks, then I don't have to tell you about all of the awful things that are occurring in the world. And friends, what I'm hearing are two major reactions from Christians. The first one are a whole host of theories and speculations about what all of this means, about end times and signs and how close we are to the end. Again, friends, we have to be careful with all of that. We have to stick with what Scripture tells us. Certainly, we need to look out at the world and see all of these things and let it motivate us to be prepared for Christ's return, whenever that may be. We need to let it motivate us to go out and to tell others to be prepared for Christ's return for whenever that may be. But what we don't need to do is speculate. What we don't need to do is let our theories run wild. Stick with Scripture. That's the end of that story. The second major reaction that I'm seeing from Christians, which may be more concerning even than the first, is real almost extreme fear. Now look, on the one hand, I get it. The, the things that we are seeing, they're awful. And to be sure, we don't know if or when those things will come to our doorstep. They may come. In fact, if we take Scripture at its, at its word, they probably will come. If not to us, then to our children, and especially to our children's children, okay? It's the reality that Christ has given us. The proper reaction to that is not fear. Now, how can I say that? Well, I can say it because as I reminded the kids at FCA Friday, we who are in Christ, we have an unshakable, unmovable, unrevocable hope. The God who saved us is the God who controls all things. Even these things. He is the God who has saved us. He is the God who is our shield. Who is our high tower. He is the God who hears our cries. He 
It's the God, as we've read this morning, who fights for His people. Not only does He fight for them, but He promises that He one day will set all of these things right. Friends, He's taking an account of it all. None of this is passing under Him without Him seeing it. There's no sweat on His upper lip. He's got it. He knows. And He is taking an account. And He will set it all right one day. He will make it all new. And then, best of all, He promises through every bit of it, no matter what may come, no matter how bad it may get, He promises to be with and near His people, to hold them close, to never leave them or forsake them. And here's the thing. We know it's true. We know that He's going to do just that. Because if God was willing to give us His Son, as Paul says, then how will He not freely with Him give us all things? Friends, if you're a Christian here today, Christ died for you. The Holy Spirit is alive in you, abiding in your heart, and you are resting in the palm of the hand of God the Father Almighty. You do not have to be afraid. Even if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the psalmist says, even if terrorists strike, even if that that test or that scan comes back with unwanted results, you are safe in the sure grip of your Savior. He says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you and I have called you by name. You are mine will not let you go. Jesus says, you're going to have trouble in the world. But don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. So, the reaction is not fear. The reaction is to be prepared. To be prepared to oppose the evil one. And the question that remains is how do we do that? Well, with the little bit of time that we have left... Let me point you to the instructions that that John gives us here, okay? He tells us, uh, so this would actually be our third point in our sermon, but it's our, uh, who knows how many points it is, but you get me. So uh, we're going to oppose the Antichrist through two primary means, through the anointing that we have received and by abiding in the reality that that anointing affords us, okay? So first... Christians are those who have been anointed. Now, uh, that word, uh, in certain Christian circles, is sort of a a loaded word. Now, particularly, you know, kind of in the the charismatic movement, that word anointing, uh, it is associated with power and with spiritual gifts, and even with the assurance of salvation. You know, if you have not been anointed, then you are not truly saved. And look, we can, we can certainly wrestle with all of those issues, but what I want you to notice here is John's emphasis is not necessarily power. It's not necessarily miraculous signs, but instead his emphasis is knowledge. As Christians, we have been anointed via Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who through the Word of God leads us to know and to understand the truth, what is true. Now this reminds us of John 17, right? You remember there in his high priestly prayer, 
Jesus prays for believers that God would sanctify them in truth. That, that word sanctify, it means to set apart, which is really what this anointing in Scripture is all about. You know, whether it was in the Old Testament and David being anointed, certainly the Spirit came upon him, but what, what was God doing? He was setting David apart for his use. Well, it's the same idea here. We're anointed. We are set apart. So Jesus says, sanctify them, set them apart in truth. And then you remember the second part of that, that verse. Your word is truth. Jesus' desire for his people is that they know the reality of what God has said. And notice, John confirms that that is exactly what has happened in their lives via the Holy Spirit. Uh, look at verse 20, the end of verse 20 there. Uh, he says, uh, you all have knowledge. Then in verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. It's interesting. He's not asking them to go out and get knowledge. He's not telling them where they can find it. He's saying, you have it. You have it via the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches you. You don't even need a teacher. We're going to come back and talk about that in a second. But you don't need a teacher because the Holy Spirit is teaching you. Now again, let's note two important things here. First, note that this is not simply just getting us back to Jesus' words in the high priestly prayer. But if you turn to Jeremiah 31, what you're going to find is that this is fulfillment of covenant promises, right? This is God fulfilling his word. You remember there in Jeremiah 31, uh, the whole book, Jeremiah has been uh, pronouncing judgment on, on Judah. They're, they're going to go into exile. Babylon's coming. They're going to be, God's people are going to be taken away. Uh, but he reminds them that redemption is coming. And he says to them, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant thou will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And here it is. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And so again, my point to you is that what John recognizes in these believers is the fulfillment of the covenant promises, the fulfillment of the new covenant that has come through Christ. The word is now not merely external to them, but it is written on their hearts. It's true for you today. If you're resting in Christ, the word is written on your hearts then he says that line, you don't need a teacher. Now, what's, what's, what's he trying to get at here? Is he saying that we don't need Sunday school teachers or mentors or preachers? Well, you may be thinking that I'm just trying to save my job here, and that may be true, but I would ask you to remember that John here is teaching, okay? He is actually teaching them as he goes. And then in Romans 10, you remember that great passage, 
you know, how are they going to know if they don't hear, and how are they going to hear if they don't have a preacher, they don't have somebody to teach them. And so preaching and teaching is clearly an important and effective means that God uses to communicate his truth. So we're not trying to get away from that completely, but it's important to remember uh, John's opponents in this little book, the, the false teachers who are threatening his readers. Remember, they're, they're those Gnostics. They're, their claim is that they have a secret knowledge, an essential secret knowledge that only they have and only they can impart. And John's response to that is to encourage the people to remember the covenant promises of Jeremiah 31. He wants to remind them that the same Holy Spirit that was in the prophets, the same Holy Spirit that was in the disciples, the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus himself, is the same Holy Spirit that is in each Christian believer, and that Holy Spirit, he delights to impart wisdom. He delights to reveal truth, particularly truth and wisdom about the person and the work of Christ. That's what he loves to do more than anything, is to glorify and uphold the Son, to show us Jesus. And if you'll recall, John has told us that's the question that all of this hinges on. The difference between Antichrist and not is the question of, who is Jesus? Who does Scripture say that he is? To get that question wrong is to fall into this category, is to be who John is steering us away from. And so he wants to remind his readers, they have the Spirit within. They don't need someone to tell them some mystical or secret knowledge. They can go to the Word. They can see what God has said, and the Holy Spirit will reveal the truth to them. Now, let's take a step back here. I recognize that this isn't really groundbreaking material on the one hand, right? The, the preacher, your preacher, is standing before you and telling you through the Spirit to know your Bibles and to know the one who the Bible reveals, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's what you expect me to say. But here's the question. How many of us are using the Bible that way? Am I using the Bible that way? I'm afraid that more times than not, more times than we would care to admit, the answer is we are not using the Bible in the way that John encourages us to do here. And I base that not so much on conversations that I've had with any of you or with anybody else, but I base it on the reactions that I see so many of us having to the world and to the things of the world. Again, based off the point that we made earlier about fear, do we know that God is in control? Do we know that he is working all things out for the good of his people and for his glory through Jesus Christ our Savior? To get back to some of John's points in this very book, do we know that this world and all of its allurements are passing away, that none of our stuff, none of our wealth will ultimately last? Do we know that Christ has set us free from sin so that we are no longer slaves to it? Do we know that in Him we can and should pursue holiness? Most importantly, when Satan comes knocking at our doors, and friends, he will come knocking, when, when he tempts us, when he twists God's Word, as he has done from the beginning, are we able to use Scripture as Christ did in the wilderness? 
as a sword, as a weapon against the evil one. As none of us would go into battle without our weapon. Why would we go out into the world without the word? Because the greatest thing that, that you can know are, are not stock market reports or sports stats lines. It's not even big, grand theological terms. The greatest thing that you can know is Scripture, is the Word of God, plain and simple. And here's the good news. According to John and the promises of the Old Covenant, of the New Covenant, that knowledge is available to you via the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Don't neglect the Word. Oppose the Antichrist through the anointing that you have received, through the truth that the Holy Spirit reveals to all of us. Secondly, we oppose the Antichrist by abiding, uh, by resting in, by persevering in several things he reveals to us here. Three, actually. First, the Word of God. And we're not going to spend time here because we've already talked about the Word of God a lot, but I just would simply point out to you that John's... um, John's emphasis is not that we know the Word of God for a minute or at one point in our lives or at one singular place where we could say, oh yeah, I knew that then. His emphasis is that we steep in it, that that we are are found abiding and resting, fully immersed in that Word for a lifetime. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is not, oh, that happened back then. I remember that time. No, this is a lifetime of walking and resting with the Lord. Okay? Resting in His Word. But notice that, that as we do that, it says also that as we abide in the Word, we abide in the Son and in the Father and in the anointing that the Holy Spirit has given us. Now look, we we have to be careful here, uh, because what John means is not that we somehow become God as Christians, via our connection to Christ. None of us are becoming little gods. There is always, and there will always be, a creature and, and creator distinction. But what he means here is the same thing that Jesus meant, again, in John 17, when he prays for his followers, uh, in verses 20 and 21, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, somehow, and I'll be honest, I'm not 100% sure I can wrap my head around this. Uh, Christ has granted us access to the ability to abide in the inner life of the Trinity. Um, it's, it's so profound that I'm not exactly sure how to express it. You know, it would be one thing uh, if God had just saved us. Or if He had just called us in to gather as we're gathered right now. But that's not what he's done. Uh, Through him, he has given us access. Access to his heart. Access to himself. You know, husbands and wives, this might be a good example. Uh, If you are a husband or a wife, you have looked at your spouse at some point and thought, I wish I knew what was going on in their head right now. 
That could be good or that could be bad. But you have wondered, what is going on right now, right? Well, somehow, in Christ, we have that sort of access with God. We don't have to wonder. We can abide, we can rest in Him. Again, it's, it's, it's really beyond our comprehension. It's beyond what we can truly put into words, but it's an amazing truth. Think of the, the security that that gives you as a Christian today. You are abiding in the Father and in the Son, in this perfect relationship that has existed for all of eternity. Think of the hope, the security that you have as you rest in God. We abide in His Word, we abide in Him, and then lastly, we abide in His promises. We rest in, we trust in, we continue on in, and we looked expectantly to all the things that He has said He would do. All the promises. Think, think of all of the sweet promises that God has made to His people in His Word. Promises to be near them, promises to love them, promises to, to deliver them, to fight for them, all of those things. But particularly here, he says that we should rest in that promise of eternal life. In a world full of antichrist, in a world full of dangers, in a world full of disappointments, what is our hope? How do we persevere? It's by resting in the sure knowledge that Christ has secured for us Life beyond this existence. Life beyond this world. That He has secured for us everlasting life, eternal life, in His eternal kingdom. Yes, antichrists are a reality. And they are a real threat that we need to be aware of. Friends, let me ask you. What are they compared to the anointing of His truth? What are they compared to the ability to abide in the triune God? What are they compared to His never-failing promises? Friends, today, as we conclude what has been a long two-week sermon, let me boil it down to this. This is what I want you to take away from all of this, okay? Today, John's telling us, first, to take heart. Take heart. Be encouraged. Whatever may be going on in the world, your God is greater than it all. Whatever may be going on in your life, He's greater than it all. He's got it under control. He will not let you go. Secondly, He is calling us to take up the sword of truth, the sword of God's Word, to be ready to go out into the world with it. And thirdly, He's reminding us to rest God's sure presence and in His sure promises. As we go out into the world, be ready. Be ready to face whatever may come and be ready in Jesus. Be ready in His truth and in His promises. Friends, His truth will and has overcome. It will not fail. And so we say today, thanks be to God for His Word. Thanks be to God for His power. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, his Son, and our Lord, as we pray together. Father God, uh, we are so thankful for your love. A love that we don't deserve, a love that we couldn't earn, but a love that you have 
showered on us freely in Christ, and it's through that love and through the anointing of your Spirit that we today have hope, that we today are able to stand firm in a lost and sinful world, a world that's often against us, a world that, that um, is seeking to, to overcome us. Well, we know that, that it will not overcome. Your people or your church, uh, because Christ will not be overcome. He is with us. And he will not forsake us. And Lord, we have that picture from Revelation of him standing in that last day at the marriage feast of the Lamb. He was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Lord, he will set all things in you. Give us that assurance. Help us to rest in that promise. Lord, we pray for this world. We pray that you would bring many to know the truth of Jesus. Help us to be a part of that goal, a part of that mission. You have called us all to go out into the world and to take that truth with us. So help us to be faithful to it. Lord, we pray that through all of this, whether it's here in your church, whether it's out in the world, or whether it's in our individual lives, that Christ would receive all glory, honor, and praise. And we ask it in his name. Amen.